Yo, what's good? Welcome to Counter Currents, episode number 65. Yeah. Yes. 65, yeah. 65B. 65B. Because there was an A, but we had some problems. We did like, we had a great episode ready to go. Yeah, it was amazing. And then the record button like didn't press right. We pressed it, but some shit went down and we realized about an hour in that we didn't record. And right. our great guest was kind enough to come and do episode 65b yeah because we went to a fucking bar and got drunk and now we're back here doing we a did podcast. comedy you guys got drunk you guys got drunk speak, i got ice cream speak for yourself i'm drinking a red bull yeah i mean i don't know elena i saw you pounding shots behind the bar oh yeah like, <laughs> i know it's- shots of fronan ice cream with dark chocolate chunks so our guest today everybody is jack coleman he is a comedian here in DC, and he's also uh, a producer for one of the bigger outfits here in DC. I'd say. Do you feel that you're one of the bigger outfits? Yeah, I'd say number two, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, technically, not not in amounts of shows. <laughs> not in amounts. Oh, of he's shows. more shows. You have more shows, don't you? you don't you? Pro- you probably produce the most shows. And I won't name number one just out of respect, you know. <laughs> you probably have the most shows. Per we week, right? yeah, we have the most local shows. There you go. For yeah. sure. No yeah. question. Um, nine to eleven shows a week, depending on the week. That's a fun and with book. more opportunity to like franchise if people want to like jump in and like run yes. something, right? So you're, you're like the subway to the McDonald's. Sure. Yeah. Be fresh. Be fresh. But Overhead is like a hundred fifty thousand versus like <laughs> you know a million. But the problem I've noticed in the last couple of years is that like new comets are lazy leeches. Fuck yeah, they and are. And they like no one wants to start their own show. Nope. Very few new comics want to start their own show. They don't. Well, that's what keeps them at new comics. Right. Well, they. they well, Isn't it? yes, but there are many. Some how many? Who develop, how many like, new comics? Like even like the people that I'd say are like a year behind me. The most of the ones that are good mm-hmm. have produced stuff. Right, you had your own show for a long time. That's how I yeah you were got doing like stage long chime. sets. That's how I got yeah. stage time and and how I like got to know people. Is I started producing shows yeah. immediately because like a way. It's one of the reasons I took her on this you know podcast adventure because I was like this is somebody new that's actually willing to go and like produce shit. Or so yeah. you could get stage time. Well, and she paid me and booked <laughs> yeah, me yeah. too. Yes. Yeah, I did paid. I got I got paid shows. And it was a way for me to get to know the comics that I thought were good. And it was a way to just kind of get like known in the scene instead of just like start. Just sitting there leeching. The yeah, that's no, right. That's you right. Can't that's do right. That. I think that's I think that's really important for comics to do. And it gives you a way better understanding of comedy itself. Like I think it really helped yeah. Yeah, my stand up game in general. Like comics in other cities, almost everyone produces a show at least some point in their life at some time. Yeah. And it really, really helps going to another city if you produce the show because you know how to approach a booker a producer or a host you know how to say it like if someone comes in in like you know short ass capris crocs and a wife beater which someone has done at one of our shows (laughs) and says they're a new york city comic and then demands to go on and then i like research them and like 15 comics from new york don't know who they are and then one's like, oh, yeah, that guy's a Long Island comedian. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like, it's like, okay, bro. I didn't know there was like, like a differentiation <laughs> yeah. between that. Is there like a Long Island scene versus the rest of the city? I have no idea, but you're not a New York City. You're not like a, don't, you're like, you're fronting. Like, sure. Like, no, maybe you've done if, some mics in New York City, but you're not like a known New York comic. Yeah, but like 15 people, one of them would have heard of yeah, you. Yeah, and then yeah. the 16th yeah, yeah. person. So it's like. You know, other people in other cities, they, they do produce shows, but it's like when you come into D.C. or you come into any city and you have produced a show, you know how to be deferential and nice and like, hey, you know, I'd love to go on if you can put me on. And it's like, yo, bro, you're a traveler. We're going to put you on at least for a minute, like right. host guest relationship, right? right. We want to put you on. We want to have a diversity of voices. You're from another city. Let's see how this goes. A lot of times it doesn't go great. Uh, the city that is good in D.C. <laughs> no, San Francisco. San Francisco comics translate very well to D.C. That's really Almost, interesting. Well, it's like they're our sister city to an extent. Like, that is the, yeah. You, you know oh. where the bag tax came from? Fucking San Francisco. Mm. Like the straw shit we have to deal with. San Francisco. Yeah. So like 
they're very, shit we like fucking dc <laughs> is like you know like well, a lot of gay people in dc a lot of gay people in san francisco like dc is very like progressive and woke yeah and tries to be san francisco on the east coast so those comics who come up That's in San Francisco point. and are good, like, get the PC culture and all that shit so that when they come to D.C., they know how to teeter on the line and not sure. piss off the crowd right. and still tell a joke. D.C.'s right. to San Francisco what Baltimore is to Oakland. Oh, my God. That's so true. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, my dude. God. That's on so the true. Nose. <laughs> yeah. On the nose. <laughs> and I love right. Baltimore and Oakland. Don't get it twisted. I like all the Bay, the but Ravens that's what need it to is. Lose their football team. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Been there. Yes. Oh my God, that's so funny. That's on the nose, man. That's you good know stuff. it. You know it. Um, I'm gonna explore that one. That was a good reaction. Yeah. It's better than I expected on a Thursday night. But anyway, um, so you've been doing this now, ups and downs, everything like five years and. I remember when Has you it been five years since you started producing? Four and a half. It's coming up on five. Yeah. Oh, I guess it's almost five now. I think. Ross and you've been doing and comedy, I, comedy for that for since you've been doing comedy, you've been producing shows. Same number. Uh, no, about six months in. So what initially happened is, like, obviously you can't get on stage. You can't get on stage. I knew the owner of a bar. I went to the owner of the bar. I was like, Hey, I've known you since college. Well. I went to the bar a lot in college, so I ended up knowing the owner. She was like, yeah, sure, you can do a show here. So we ended up starting doing a show there, and there was another guy in the city producing shows. He was producing two shows on, I think, Tuesday and Thursday, and I was like, you know what you're missing your schedule is a Wednesday show. Mm -hmm. So what if I did a Wednesday show, and I started producing that show, and so he like helped me put together the show and do the show. And then there were shows, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then things one thing leads to another mm -hmm. as they say shit goes down as they say yeah. and then you know we bring in like kasha and noah from their like sunday show and then we you know and then we have a monday show and you know things happen and then we start having four shows and then five shows and then it starts growing but the thing that does frustrate me to bring this a little full circle to what we were talking about earlier is that like ideally what happens here is that a comic who's been doing it a year to two years is like, hey, I found this venue. Uh, can you help me run this show? Because mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, yes, we can give you like the, the best practices here. And then you can run the show and you can own it. And we'll like help you like figure it out. But like now it's almost like comics here don't get how good they have it. Because they haven't seen the shit show that is the most American cities comedy scene, and so they don't. Or get... they don't understand the like, like in New York, you have to have a show to get time. Right, because, you like, put all your friends on. Yeah, so you, you go put, to their yeah, shows. yeah, you you put people on your show so you can get on their show. It's like really important to produce your own show in New York, because yeah. if not, you get shit. They don't understand the shit show that was DC comedy in oh, 2012. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, I was then, a hot <laughs> shit in my first year because I had the only Friday night mic for the last two years. Oh, yeah. At, at the uh, Dancing Crab. Dancing Crab, yep. baby. That was the place. And now that whole bar's defunct. That was a 40-year yeah. legendary haunt. Redskins would hang out there and everything. But anyway, mm -hmm. the point being, the DC scene has exploded, and now you believe, and I actually watched you give this talk at GW Lisner, a TED talk. Oh, yeah, dude. The oh, yeah, TEDx TED talk, talk. That's right. Which was fantastic. Right. I was there backstage, and. Um, oh, yeah, he was. You know? I love so Pete. Nice of Pete. Yeah. Pete is the best. No, it was great. This guy was great. And, and they never put it on YouTube, right? Uh, it's coming out. What happened was is that, you know, college kids go on summer vacation. Yeah, and then uh, we also went back and forth about the title for a while, and and all this and all that, and I'm like, you can't put assassins in the title. Like, <laughs> that's true. Like assassins. comedy assassins, that's cool. Is like talked about in the set, but like you can't put it in. Like it's not, it's not a you know SEO term. Okay, <laughs> is that what we're right. talking about? No one like so. It was just we yeah we went back and forth about the title. They figured out we figured out the title. Uh, and supposedly it's gonna drop. I don't know in September. I'm gonna watch it, and if it's good, then I'll I'll put it on Facebook. It was very good. But if it sucks. 
No, it, they should call it encoding failure because that oh, was the yeah. big encoding, failure. encoding yeah. failure because that was a big um, gerund of Jack's topic. And it was spot on. And he talked about, you know, we were talking about in sub episode A of this episode. Right. The one that got not recorded. But anyway, about how um, we're at a critical mass in DC comedy. Like, this is a moment where we could seize sure. upon it to capitalize on it further than what we already have here maybe get some bigger industry attention some other markets and really develop great comics here further you know and he talked about that and he talked about how you know a lot of other scenes are encoding failure across the country because they don't do it like we do it in terms of like tons of mics every night and you know the competition and being in the geopolitical center of right. the world and having really educated people that are in well, here to do yeah. stuff and yeah. it's all around us i i, I can't do the like whole I, fucking like i said thing, in episode a i think dc is the most special because people fucking go to shows which in the main industry cities like New York and L.A., the average person is not going to go to an open mic full of comics they've never heard of. Right. Because you have, you just have the comedy seller or the comedy store, and you can see the most famous comics in the world. Yep. At Ten minutes from your house mic. at their right. open mic, right? Like I was mm-hmm. at the store, and right. it was like, it was Dave Attell, and then it was Martin Lawrence, and then it was like... Mike Berbiglia or somebody. It was like, oh, I've seen all of these comic specials. Yeah. yeah. I will pay 5 or $10 to go watch that. And then they just post a list in the back of the room where it's like everyone does 10 to 15 minutes. There's no host. They just bring each other up. They just get a pink light. And it's like, it's amazing because they have a little section in the back where they'll let the comics sit there for free and watch. But it's like, I mean, the, it is a negative in the sense that, like, we don't have the opportunity as much as comics in L.A. and New York to, like, go into those shows and see an original construction, an original structure of a joke. That's yeah. At a high level. That's true. So you're, you don't get influence. So to an extent, while, like, the, the encoding failure thing, the thing that pisses me off about sometimes other cities is that, you go there, and if there aren't muggles, if there aren't like normal people in the audience, then you're telling jokes to comics, and you're trying to get a shock value, and that's not making you money. No, and I think that's that's like, what that's I that's what I think is something. I mean, New York especially has this problem where there's so many mics. There's so many mics in New York, but it's you just in front of other comics. Mm-hmm. And what's going to make other comics laugh is totally different. Yeah. Than what's going to make an audience laugh. That's right. Comics and don't so, buy tickets to comedy shows. No, they sure no. Don't. It's, and and you you it's hard to get a gauge as to what's funny. Like you kind of have to travel outside to really find out if your jokes are working. Like I find yeah. like like it must be it must be really hard. But I feel like in DC we're really lucky. Like I feel like here you get better faster. Yeah. Well, Ralphie May once told Joey Diaz, you know, you're gonna be a whole lot better, but you got to stop playing to the back of the room. You're just doing all this shit for other comics. Right. But you got to learn to work the fucking front and get these people on board. And I think I think industry is starting to notice like Mm -hmm. this. I looked at uh, Comedy Central with their up next, you know, and they had scouts look all over the country. They picked 12 stand up comedians all over the all over the country that they looked at. Two of them were from here. Mm -hmm. People that we know. Two were from Chicago and the rest were all from New York. They didn't even pick anybody from L.A. Which I thought wow. was really interesting. That's and we got Just for Laughs too. Paris to Just for Laughs. Oh yeah, a couple years ago. Not yeah, this year. and there's like yeah. other stuff. So like yeah, DC is at the very beginning. Maybe like step two of like getting put on the map. Cause like yeah, yeah, it's have- still early. It's still early. Not everybody. Know. It's like the coolest people of comedy know that we're here. But right, this big is industry. In. Big industry doesn't really see it yet. But I think that's I like that. Because once big industry gets in, it's just... Well, you can hide. Yeah. Well, we can hide here in D.C. And there's the ability to fail and fail at a high level. Like, you can, yes. you can screw up at a comedy club here and it's not the end of your career. Yes. Like, you totally. can Which try really stuff important. out. You can be experimental. You can do that yes. sort of stuff because, you know, what, you're not ready for TV yet and no one from TV is going to see you. So when you do get the polish on you and you are like a rock star, then when you walk into New York or L.A. with an agent or a manager and a credit... It's a completely different world. Yeah. You're not going to open mics necessarily. And if you are going to open mics, you're going in and going on and leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not, you know, you're the the, the draw for yeah. the open mic, you know? So, 
I mean, there you in LA and New York, there is the, the notion, you know, that like it's harder, and so you have to write more, and you have to write better, and you do have to be better in that sense. But like the audiences just aren't there to make you better when you start. No, and in I mean in LA especially, I mean I lived in LA for a long time. I cannot imagine starting comedy in LA. And even comedians, when I've done comedy in LA, comedians that I talk to that are good, not famous, right. not people that have specials that you're talking about in the comedy store, people that are that are good and working at comedy and that aren't quite at that like high level yet, I ask them, how often do you get up? The average answer I hear is twice a month. Ugh. What? Hideous. Mm-hmm. I was opening at the DC Draft House. I mean, sorry, at the Arlington Draft House for a very famous comic and very famous that my dad has heard of and he gave me a really good piece of advice when I was able to, he was so gracious he was very Who is this? Daryl Hammond okay he great he yeah. for Daryl Hammond sick That's dope. as a fucking dog the first night and he still did it like this motherfucker was so professional like I man if I was that sick I don't know if I could go on stage but he was like sick he was sick he was not feeling good he went on stage did a wonderful 50 minutes to an hour and then got off, did all of his impressions, did all that stuff. But he was also gracious enough at that level, essentially an A-lister in comedy, you know? Like, not Jerry Seinfeld, but, like, up there. Really, really mm. good. And he took yeah, time. Yeah, a household name And, like, comic. two or three minutes, like, genuinely took interest and gave me a really good piece of advice, which was, uh, you can't get better at comedy unless you're doing it four times a week. That's right. So 200 times a year. That's if right. If you do comedy 200 times a year, so basically almost every other day. So you go on stage, you do a set. It's like lifting weights. Yeah, that's right. Next day, it, it is. It's like it it's like off. working out. Open mics yeah. or the gym. You look yeah. at the set you did. You listen to it. You adjust it. You spend an evening on that, and then the next night you go out. And in DC, like I can get on stage ten to fifteen times a week. Is that a problem to an extent? Yes, because I'm not changing my jokes as much, and I'm not being as deliberate with the jokes. But like I can do write on my own i can write in the shower i can write by myself i can't get on stage during those times so yeah you know stage time is incredibly valuable and like that's the thing that i can't get so like i personally want to focus as much as possible getting on stage and doing stage time and then the writing you know i'll figure out hopefully Mm -hmm. in a minute but like that's something that's really great about dc is the ability to get on stage and having someone who has done it at a high level and who is the second longest cast member ever on snl Behind Keenan Thompson now, who Keenan Thompson's been on longer than Keenan, da- than Daryl Hammond yes, he's been now? on longer wow. than anyone else. He's been on, dude. It was basically he went from all that to fucking SNL. To SNL. You know oh that Keenan Thompson and Kel Mitchell tried out for the same spot on SNL. No, I didn't know Kenan that. Keenan got and it. Keenan got mm. it. Obviously, Keenan got it. But wow, like now so he's the you know resident guy. Yeah. And Lauren, I was either reading an article or listening to a podcast, and Lauren Michaels was like. He knows how to do everything. He knows how to be the star of a sketch. He knows how to be in the backdrop. He, he knows does. how to set people up. He is a genius when it comes to that show. And that's why you see other people come and go and not be there. But like Keenan can fit into the mold of anyone on the show. That's right. Uh, yep. And that's really that's phenomenal. That's so interesting. For him. That's but so interesting. Like, and he's very. By all accounts, very nice dude. Alahe interviewed him recently. Oh, really? And like followed him around for three or four days. And like met his mom and like went around uh, SNL. It's a great article. You should all read it if you're listening mm-hmm. to this podcast. It's in the Washington Post. Alahe Zadi. Great article. Mm-hmm. But like she like did a really in-depth profile on him. And huh. how do we get to Keenan? <laughs> oh, Daryl Hammond gave oh, you right. such Darryl wonderful advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Daryl Hammond was like an actor on that show and like, I think wrote some and then also does stand up. And like. And it's hard to stay on that show for a long time. I've got yeah. two, two guys I went to school with are on that show now. Wow. So I have all this like insight. I heard all this insight about how the show works. And mm-hmm. basically everybody on that show is constantly afraid of getting fired Wow! That's because great. they, they don't care. Like they'll fire. I mean, I think like Will Ferrell was fired. Like, I mean, hmm. they just decide when your time is up. Wait, how and was like, he fired? He wouldn't immediately. Uh, maybe, like or a, maybe, maybe it was, a, maybe it was Adam Sandler. Like a lot of the big, big names on SNL who did well on SNL. Think, I want to say Chris got, Rock got fired. Got fired. Yeah, Chris Rock did get fired. But some and of the ones who did, like Norm Adam McDonald Sandler. Norm got fired. But Norm McDonald got fired he for said, poking f- management. Right, right, right. Did he say right. fuck on the weekend update or something? He did. He said something crazy. <laughs> he said something crazy. But, <laughs> that, yeah, but everybody, like that everybody on that show is constantly afraid every season of losing their job. And that's why it's usually a good show. 
But that's <laughs> if you're scared of getting fired, you're gonna work hard. That, but it's really hard to stay on there for a uh. long time because they like the littlest thing. They're like, nah, they'll cut you and just get somebody new. Like everybody's very replaceable. That's so right. It's really hard to do that. They tell them, hey, you want to play it safe? There's always cheese in a mouse trap. <laughs> 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 but that's great. So people get fired. DC's yeah. cutthroat like that. Yeah, we're fucking bumping people here. That's Go ahead. True. Is DC cutthroat like that? I don't yes, think it is. I, I disagree. Do. I think there are people I think there are people here and now this is gonna get con- kinda country. Good. Let's do but it. But I think there are people here that have been doing comedy for a longer amount of time and because the amount of time and how well liked they are are given more time than people that Definitely. are newer. So people that are newer. I'm not talking about myself. I'm taking I'm not talking about oh, myself. Oh yeah, you've I'm been doing myself. it long enough. I, I'm saying I'm saying there are people that I see that are even even newer than me, <laughs> even newer this is than me. So interesting that you say this. Another- and there are some people, and I'm I'm taking myself out of it. I'm not talking about me, but then people who have been doing it. PD knows some yeah. of the people because I because it, it bothers the shit out of me that there's some people that I'm like, there there are so many. They were really funny maybe. I don't know how many years ago when there weren't that many comedians, but now there's so many people that are so much funnier than them. I was, I was and they just need to like. Are you thinking like way, way, way back in the day, people that no, stuck I'm around? People like I'm talking people like maybe, like maybe six, seven years mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. and people who are maybe like two or three, mm-hmm. and there are people that are two or three that are stronger than yeah. the people at seven, and those those people at seven just need, and they're just getting better spots because of time but they're just the industry is just they're just not going to make it bigger it's interesting you, know you I mean? say this because i was i've talked to another producer uh about this before and what this producer said was you know they're just some people who are grandfathered in fair that was the word that was used was grandfathered in and i was like okay interesting that's an interesting but, way to but phrase if you're that. A producer, see here, okay, I understand that. Which is one reason why our organization is different because we started like kind of once the pop had happened. Yeah. And so it's way more egalitarian and it's way more like it has to be in that sense. That's why we like did the whole pass list thing and like right. stuff. Yes, but but if you're 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 a booker and you and you've talked a lot about how you want to see DC comedians succeed. Yeah. Right? If you see someone, if you've got someone who's grandfathered in, who's getting a lot of spots, but just at the end of the day, like the ability is just not there versus someone who's two or three years in where it's like, this person could really fucking pop off. Yes. And, and I'll th- name names as soon as we stop recording of like people. Yeah. We all know who we're talking about, but like that's one. Of, so there were a couple problems. One problem was I was doing, I was booking in like, I don't see everybody and I don't know everybody. And I also don't want everybody to hate just me. Let's spread that hate out a little bit. And so, well, yeah, we, this isn't, this isn't directed. I mean, well, this is, this is, but generally but, sometimes the scene will decide on certain right. people. What I'm saying, what I'm saying, Elena, is that like we spread the hate out by having the hosts vote on who the, the question we, question we asked. Oh, was, you guys did this. Yes. Okay. Who do you want on your show? Do you want this person on your show? And then everybody voted. And if you got two no votes, you were a no. Immediately okay. a no. If you got one no vote, it was like, mm, maybe I'll try and like, you know, look at it and make a determination. But like, you know, people don't, no one else has done that in DC and there, that yeah. was very fair and it was anonymous. So like, and I've stuck to the list. I have an right. Excel sheet. I do a conditional sort. Those people get booked. The other people will get booked, you know, the people who are past get booked every week. The people who aren't get booked once a month, once every six weeks to see how they're developing, to see if they're getting funnier. Like, I probably wouldn't be on most of our shows, almost any of our shows, if I wasn't putting in as much time, you know, essentially barking, bringing friends, doing all of the work to get on those shows. Right. You know, like the lot, most of the people on their shows, I hope, I hope they're funnier than me. <laughs> like, right. otherwise we have a problem. Right. You know? So, like... uh I think that like what DC is hopefully moving towards is more of a fair system of, of putting people on stage. And I think with the organization we have in our scene and the smallness of the size of the city, there is an ability to like really do something like that. In New York and LA, you can hide, you can, 
do something dumb over here and then go over here to this other show. Like in DC, that's not the case. There's responsibility. There right. is a culture of discipline and trust. Like there is actual people, you know, holding you accountable. Well, here's, here's my question to that then just from a booker's perspective. Like say you've got someone who has sort of been grandfathered in, who was like considered pretty funny, say when they started, six seven years ago but now there's just better comics but this person is still getting a fair amount of spots how do you and you're just like this you know this person you're looking at it you're like this person is just not as funny as uh, as certain maybe newer people like how do you she's talking about me no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> around you know exactly who i'm talking about yeah but like how idea. do you how do you do you have a conversation with that comedian or do you just like start is it like a slow fade like how do you manage that so that's why one of the reasons we did the voting thing okay mm -hmm. so i can i can sort of to an extent i'm just one out of because i host a show out of what like nine or ten votes so i can be like look you know, three people didn't vote for you, and I've had this conversation with ten comics. The same, least. the same one wow. that I'm having, that I'm saying right now. Oh, 10, wow. ten to twenty comics. Okay, there was a lot of people who got dropped in who confronted me about it. Uh, I, I was that was going to be my next question. Did yes, any people who've been a doing lot comedy of them for a long confronted time? snarky emails or in person? In person's always better and more respected than a snarky email. Mm -hmm. But of those, let's say fifteen, I would say four of them got shook up, got their shit together, and I've seen them improve substantially. Interesting. Over the hmm. last three or four months. And it was like, this was also sort of a litmus test for those 15, 16 people, right? Because, like, uh, like they just needed a little bit of a push. Sure. To be like, take this seriously. And, you know, most of the people didn't, and they just kind of rolled off. Or they're not on our shows. They're not on a lot of other shows. They, you know, kind of rolled off as well. They should be. Call the herd. You know? But, like, there were some people who I had very difficult conversations with who, were, who I view as friends of mine. And it was like, you know, this is a career. Play the long game here. Play the long game. Play the 10, 20-year game. Don't play the three-month game, the year game. Like, mm -hmm. play the long game and learn the right way to learn and do comedy. Don't, let's bring this back, encode failure. Mm -hmm. Don't keep practicing the wrong thing. Practice the right thing. And so some of these comics like love comedy and they just needed to get shook up, shook up a little bit. Now, let me couch this by saying, who the fuck am I? Like, I am just trying to be a comic. I have no right to tell these people, you know, who's well, funny, who's not funny. That's again, why we have the voting thing. Right. I just find myself in this position Given. Well, but you're the booker of shows, but but, but the other thing is, like Jerry right. Seinfeld says, comedy is like food. It's like totally a personal taste, right? And I think that there's some truth to mm, that. But, but at line. the end of the day, but the end of the day, like you just have to listen. Like no matter what you think, like you just have to, just have to listen for laughs. And there's certain people that it's like, dude, how are you getting? Well, that's what stuff? I mean. I think it's a lot less subjective than people would want to allow for. The people I hear talking that's about, true. it's subjective the most. Suck dick at comedy. Oops. I mean, <laughs> seriously, like it's same with music or art or anything like that. You can't tell me, you know, the Rolling Stones are fucking bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or, or, right. Yes. Uh, something like that. Like yes. it, it, it's silly. Yeah. And even when you apply this to something like sports, like gymnastics, okay, those people get docked on appearance. So you lose like a quarter of a point if your fucking berets aren't in making your hair look like a Martian or whatever. You know, you got to fucking be like on point. The curvature's got to be there, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just think that, yeah, sometimes these conversations need to be had if you're a booker. That being said, I got to imagine how awkward it is. That's going what I'm up saying. It must somebody. be. It, it's a like, super. I okay. mean, from a booker's perspective, that's a really hard thing to do. Yeah, you've been at this seven having... years. You haven't progressed. You're right. half a Tom Myers right now. And uh, yeah. <laughs> how do you plan on correcting this? Right, right, right. And you've got somebody who's like two or three years in, who's <laughs> working their ass off and fucking killing it. And right. it's just like, how do you? That's a as a booker, that's like a tough, especially you know you make friends in this game and like all that stuff like if you have a friendship going on or something like it's a hard conversation to have but i think some in in dc like any scene by the way and even like big industry is the same like this this tends to happen and yeah you know how do you sort of correct it if you're trying to get a scene noticed as a group 
yeah, we're not all Michael Chase here, okay? Mm. We don't just wake up and are fucking hilarious and spend four or five years doing comedy and then are on SNL. Is that what happened to him? Yeah, he was on wow. SNL. Michael, uh, uh, Joe, Colin Joe saw him at like some show and then Instagram messaged him and was like, hey, you should, you should submit a packet. And then he submitted a packet, he's and then so boom. Funny. Yeah, okay. he's, he's so, so funny. funny. Every 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 other word that comes out of his mouth is hilarious. Every time he's interviewed, he's spontaneously funny. He's so funny. You said that he's a good like he's a good writer, funny. Like, good, he's yes, so funny. good writer, funny. And like, what's the best? One of my favorite parts of SNL they've done recently is when when Michael Che writes jokes for Colin Jost, and then Colin Jost writes jokes for oh, Michael yeah, Che yeah, 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 yeah. about jokes they can't say. Yeah, and the shit that Che <laughs> writes. And then his reaction, he writes like the most racist, fucked up joke. And then Jost has never read it. And then he reads it in the prompter. And then Che is like, <gasps> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't believe it. <laughs> and it's so good. It's such a good bit. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, like not everybody's Michael Che. You got to figure out your voice. You got to figure out how you do it. Everybody has their own journey. Yeah. As far as everybody has their own journey. Fucking sister of the traveling pants. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like those movies. <laughs> Eat, pray, love. I like that movie too. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Yeah. Let's talk about love, actually. Oh yeah, Another, we did talk yeah, about did that talk on about that part a. a. Yeah, what an amazing movie. It's a great movie. Fantastic. What's your favorite storyline in Love Actually? The port, the Portugal girl. The Portugal girl, man. They both independently learn the other person's language. That's love. See, to me, the guy, the best friend with the signs, that, that's love. That's creepy. No, because that, like. That's creepy, Elena. He was creepy <laughs> a little bit in the beginning, but he acknowledged his own creepiness. Okay. Told her he loved the her. The wedding video is just of her face. Yes, but that's fine. If, if, that's fine. That is a little weird. It's a little weird, but, like, it, it's, it's a little weird, but the fact that he caught himself and it was, like. And just like put those signs in the front and was like, look, I have feelings for you and just walked out. Like, I thought that was like such a cool, different storyline. I, mean, I don't know. Chuyo Tell Edgio 4 is a way hotter, way more talented guy than whoever the fuck the other dude was who I don't even know his name. Oh, the guy, the guy who played the husband? No, no. Husband is Chuyo Tell Edgio 4. Oh, oh. Like the, the white dude. I have no oh, idea. Oh, and British then it was guy. what? It was Kira Knightley? Knightley. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley. That was her time. Beautiful she was big woman. Then. Good actress. I'm obviously gonna pick Chuyatel. I think he's won no, no, an Oscar. She picked, no, she picked like it all ended. It all ended the way that it should. Right, and the guy and the guy looks the kind. Dude with the guy the looks a little creepy, but like, I like that he acknowledged his own creepiness. I was like that. Did you see the SNL sketch? I think it might have gotten cut. It might have been on uh, on the on the internet where it was Pete Davidson doing the sign thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. <laughs> he's sitting here doing the sign thing. Oh man. Uh, well, so I definitely think my piece of advice for comics that need to improve, especially not really so much need to improve, but the younger ones, is you got to get away from your fucking friends. I know we talk about everybody's class and that's cool and everything, but you got to seek some guidance from somebody that's like five, six years in or, or even 10 if you can yeah. get it. You know, there's guys in this scene, Randolph. Andy Klein, you know, that come to mind that'll give you the game, you know, help yeah. you get it done. Yes. And be transparent and tell you, all right, you need to take this shit out or put this shit right, here. Right, exactly. Because they're going to have heard that joke before. Like right. a lot of times I've found out, even still today, that I'm writing a joke. I think it's fucking hilarious. The construction's great. And then someone's like, well, you know, in like 1993, so-and-so already told this joke. And like, I don't fucking know that. But if you have a trusting relationship with someone, they're going to stop you from putting in time sure. into a joke that will never go into your special. Yeah. And if yeah. it does go into your special, you're fucked. I'll never forget one time at Arlington, you were telling some kind of joke or whatever. And off said, are you going to tell that joke tonight? You said, oh, I think maybe, you know, like... Okay, you're going to do it this way. You're like, I don't know. I don't. He's like, no, trust me. Try it this way. You're going to take out this or you're going to put it. I forget the joke or whatever. And you're like, okay, okay, okay. And then you go and you do it. And then it worked. And you came up and you're like, wow, that's really good advice. <laughs> <laughs> and, Randolph, and Randolph just looks. He's like, I know it is. Yeah, I remember that part. <laughs> Randolph always does that. He'll that give you, he'll was, give you a really yeah, good advice. And you're like, damn, that was really good advice. He goes, I know. Yeah. He always does that. <laughs> 
I don't remember the joke. Or I'll be like, you're right, remember, you're right. And I like that I response that. because it echoes my point maybe like two minutes ago about subjectivity versus objectivity in comedy and how there are right answers. Yes. Better answers than worse ones in terms of structure and how to set things up. And it's not all just, oh, yeah, this person likes apples, this guy likes pears or whatever. Yeah. Well, there's, I certainly think, like, I really agree with you about, like, the, I think there's a line you cross. Now, I don't think, I mean, we're close to that line, but I think there's a line you cross where you have figured, sort of figured it out to an extent. And in that, like, you know how to construct a joke, you know how to get a laugh every 10 to 15 seconds, which is the line. Mm -hmm. That's the headliner line. If you want to tour across the country, you got to get a house laugh that touches 80% of the audience every 15 seconds. You know, like, Louie and Chris Rock do it eight, nine seconds. You know, Richard Pryor is notorious for, like, seven or eight seconds, you know. Like, there is a sort of scientific approach that is real there of a line you cross. Now... You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but like you were saying with the Rolling Stones, with the Beatles, I can listen to the Beatles, not like the Beatles, but then be like, oh shit, that's a great song. Yes. Yeah. I respect that song. Right. And it's maybe not going to be on my, you know, rotation of my favorite songs on my iPod, but like there is a, a smell, a yes. sense that's innate that everyone can get from, from the time and experience Yep. Of of that you've done in comedy, you've done it the right way. It's clear, yep. even if you don't like Andrew Dice Clay, not my cup of tea. Love but there Dice. is right? yeah, yeah, sure yeah. you do. Not my cup of tea, but there is definitely like a I I I get it. I can find myself laughing at it. I do understand it. Now Pussy, gonna, I like it. I love it. I fuck it. Oh yeah. Tell me you don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I like pussy. Yeah. <laughs> Who don't? Okay. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to the podcast. Elaine. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's exactly right. It goes back to Sopranos. There's that one great episode. You've watched Sopranos, yes, Jack Coleman? I have not no. seen the Sopranos. No, there's I one didn't have scene. HBO at that time. PD often goes back to the Sopranos. Oh, it's so yes. brilliant. But you know, one of the younger mobsters' girlfriends is interested in producing music, so they have this shitty band with the front man, <laughs> who's a guy she used to fuck before him, and he's like in recovery now, and they play this shitty emo stuff. And this is like. 99 2000 whatever so they're in there they do 64 outtakes and then the engineer's like fuck it we're just gonna bag it or whatever christopher's uh the mobster's like no 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 he's like you gotta stop being sober shoot this crank up and let's fucking do this shit you know we've been slamming our hams all day and then the guy goes like hey you know i think we want to just go home and the engineer's like well you know what you need he's like structure he's like she loves you the beatles you know she loves you yeah 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 it starts he's like there is structure that's what's wrong with the songs no choruses and the guy's like oh, the beatles the beatles it's been 40 years and the mobster's like what is he nuts <laughs> because what the fuck i mean who's gonna argue with fucking you know the wheel you can't reinvent the wheel on some of this shit that's right man and that is something that is 100 percent true and it's like that's one of the things that frustrates me so much with new comics and with comics and with the whole like notion of like that we have a no shorts rule and that's our shit. It's like, <laughs> uh, everybody, Jack, Jack has a no shorts it's rule. It's not a no that's shorts awesome. rule. Yeah. That is how you boil it down to a sentence. The rule is this is it's very it's two sentences sort of. It's like uh, if you act like you're getting paid, we will give you an audience that acts like they're paying. That's right. And so you need to, before you leave your house, think about what you're going to wear on stage. That's really it. Just think about what you're going to wear on stage. Now, there have been some comics who can get away with wearing shorts. Kevin Titt can get away with wearing shorts. There, Dylan could get away with wearing shorts. There are a lot of comics who, get a, who could get away with wearing shorts because that's their character. It's a deliberate choice, and they're really, really funny. And it, it, it's the problem of when an audience sits down and looks at someone who is... I shit you not, I told a comic they couldn't go on stage and they flipped out on me because he was wearing Crocs, tall white socks, gym shorts, and a wrinkled shirt. It looked like you came from the basketball court and you didn't even want to wear your nice basketball shoes, so you slid on some Crocs and then were like, I'm going to do comedy. 
all due respect, go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> okay? yeah. Like you, you don't, you're not going on our stage. I don't care how funny you are. This wait, what are you, what the fuck are you actually doing? So it's not a no shorts rule. It's a, I can't control. We can't control the sort of every joke that someone tells on stage. We can't tell them what to say or how to say it or that sort of stuff. But you know what? We can, we can really contribute to controlling the mindset. And if you're wearing a school uniform or if you're like really caring about the clothes you put on, you know what? If you care about the, the thought process of I'm going to think about what I wear before I leave the house, you're probably going to think about the jokes you tell. That's right. Yeah. You're going to approach the audience differently. You're going to yeah. be less likely to shit on the audience. You're going to be more grateful for the stage time. Like the, the whole policy of like, you know, acting like you care about it. Like Seinfeld said, uh, you know, to talk about another Seinfeld said, he's like, I wear a suit. Because it shows the audience I'm not loafing. I'm here. I'm about this. And it's like, yes. I'm making an effort for you. Making yeah. an effort. And he's a professional. Now, when he goes and works on stuff at the cellar and stuff, he's not wearing a suit. But when he is, like, filming a special and he's doing or that Or when of he's stuff, headlining and people are paying to see him. Yes. That's right. And, and yes. he's getting paid $100,000 yes. for, you know, some shit. But it, it's like... It's like, take it seriously. And if you're not going to take it seriously, then why are we investing in you as a stock? You're not supposed to look worse than the fans. Yeah. Or even the same. That is what Steve Martin said. Steve Martin has a great quote where he's like, the reason he wore a three piece suit when he would do it is he was like, I want to be the best dressed person in the room. I want to be dressed better than anyone else in the room. And he has a freaking arrow on his head that goes out every other thing. But he's in this white three-piece suit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you believe he's the performer. Like, you know who I think is a genius at that is Paris Sachet. Paris Sachet is so good at – she has a look. Mm -hmm. And that, I think – I mean, she's also very funny. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a big part of why she has been so successful is that, like, you remember her. Like, I – when right after I graduated college, I worked for MTV News for a while, and I had to go watch a lot of bands. And and, <laughs> and after seeing a lot of bands, you go see a lot of bands, and I swear to God, a huge part of it is just who's memorable. Yeah. Like at the time, the bands that were in were like dudes who like looked a little homeless and wore flannel shirts, and were all trying to be like Vampire Weekend. Those were like the in bands. And anything that was different like that than that, I would remember. And then oh. the better ones than that, I would remember. And Paris, you're going to remember her on a show just by walking yeah. on stage. She's got a really distinct look. She looks good. She looks polished. And no one else looks like that. That's right. And she's just, and, and I've seen her show up to shows like in flip-flops, but carrying her stage heels and carrying her jacket that she's going to wear on stage mm-hmm. and right before. And like I've seen her do it. I saw her do that at the improv open mic. And before she got on stage, put on her like glitter boots and put on her like glitter jacket and went on stage and in performer gear. And it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these comics, I don't even think go to the barber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You say that all the time. Take showers. Yeah. Like, you got to get like, groomed. Yeah, bro. Like groom. They think groom's just a verb for pedophiles anymore. <laughs> they yeah. think they're doing a service fucking negating soap yeah that's like, just not Christian right Barrow wouldn't be famous if like you know he looked scraggly and disgusting and didn't shower no like that doesn't happen maybe joaquin phoenix is the only one who can get away with that but like yeah, for the most part like you gotta look presentable just in general like i would never wear shorts to my job job yeah like yeah, totally. i would never i would never like you know and like you know as far as guys' legs go, mine are nice. <laughs> <laughs> like I have, I got you know, they're a little hairy. You got some calves. But I got some calves, <laughs> and they're like shapely. I don't have calf implants, but they're like okay. Yeah. And you know, like, but like, I wouldn't. I don't want to be distracting to my coworkers, you know, uh, <laughs> with my calves out or anything. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, like I wouldn't wear shorts, and it's a job. If you Seinfeld, let's go back to him. If you treat it like a job, maybe it'll become one. He has that great story about looking out his window and like seeing a construction worker and being mm-hmm. like, oh, that guy goes back to work every single day. And like he doesn't want to go to work every day, but he goes to work every day. And that's what I should do. And so he would like write every day, even if he didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you got to have that mentality. Yeah. And I hope I do. 
I'm not going to know for a decade. <laughs> you know, that's the thing about well, comedy. Is you'll go in stages. Slog. Yeah, but, but be, like, every couple of months, you'll feel like there's a certain leveling you do. And then if you don't get it after a while, holy shit, I've been there too. You're feeling like you're just plateauing. And then you got to do something different. Yeah, yeah. And it's like fear-based yeah. from what I found. Like, totally. Uh, like, for example, um, one of my favorite comics in the scene right now, and she's very new, is Christina Day. And mm. that's because she has zero fear. She, like, she does doesn't know what fear is. Like, she doesn't <laughs> – it just isn't in her vocabulary. Mm-mm. And so she just comes out swinging every time. New jokes, brand new jokes. But also – and this is, I think, the key with her – is she does not shit on the audience when a joke doesn't work. And if she does, it's in this like humble, self-deprecating way. It's never their fault a joke doesn't work. But she's also not afraid to go out on a limb and do some crazy-ass joke that no right. one else would try. And that's a huge amount of respect for her. And it's like that, to me, is what a successful comedian looks like. I wish I could be more like her and be more fearless in the way that she is because that's how I think you really progress and you get better is, you know, by giving zero fucks and trying new shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yes. And, yes. And no, I feel like I'm in a different phase in comedy where I'm getting mad at myself right now is that because this year I've been writing a lot and I've been getting very attached to writing new jokes, writing new jokes when like I can do like I'll get an eight minute set on on one of your shows and I can do jokes that I know are going to work for mm-hmm. like those eight minutes and get the laughs I need for those eight minutes. Sure. But such a big part of me is to like, I have a plan and I'm going to do this new shit every time because I'm bored of the old shit that I was doing that I know yeah. is going to work. And at some point you have to say, I need to make these people laugh and I need to kill no matter how, you know, if this joke's a year old and I'm over it and mm-hmm. if one's new or not, like just make people laugh. I think more than like challenge yourself. And that's where I, that's sort of where I'm at right now is like, I'll go in, like I go in with a plan to work on new stuff and I should do that. And I've been doing that a lot and that's important, but I think I should also focus a little bit more on just make, make them laugh. Like at least go for two weeks and just make people laugh every set the whole time. Mm-hmm. For two that's weeks what, on every show you do, and that's what one of the pieces of advice that Randolph gave me that I thought was really good is: is just learn to kill. Yeah, yeah, like, that is where the yeah. money is: is learning to kill. And yeah. so it's like, you know, there are jokes I've been telling since I started comedy, but I honestly don't think the joke is done. So fuck what everyone else thinks. I don't care what your opinion is. My standards are higher than what your opinion is. I know when a joke is done. I know when it's comfortable. And it actually sounds like someone on a comedy special tells the joke. I know, I know that. Right. I don't know how to do that, but I know what that sounds right. like. Yeah. And so, like, I know that some of my jokes, they're not there yet. They're not, they don't have the flow. They don't work 100% of the time. They don't sound like Tony Woods. That's like the person that, you know, I think of a lot of the times when I, like, I'm thinking about my own material is – is this going to sound as confident and nonchalant and beautiful as Tony sounds? And, you know, no, none of my jokes do. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's okay. Like, oh none God. of mine do either. That's a but fucking. He fucking writes. Yeah. Okay. And what's so disgusting about this motherfucker <laughs> is this that is awesome. like, he comes in with different material and he just like one time at St. X, he walked in, he saw our sign outside. He was like, oh, comedy show. He walked in off of his bike. With the click-in bike shoes, bike shorts, a yellow shirt, and a fucking helmet on, unbuckled the helmet. I think he still had his AirPods in. Okay. <laughs> and then went on stage and did 10 or 15 minutes of hilarious material. Mentioned his outfit, did the whole thing. Now, here's the thing. If a brand new comic who's six months in, dresses like that and wants to go on stage, fuck you. Okay? But, like, yeah, but Tony, Tony Woods different. is, like... Like, he knows what he's doing, and he knows, like, I don't even know if I believe him that he drove by and saw all the signs. Right, right, it's right, right. It could be a bit, right. you know, that he's doing. But, like, he did write, and he does prepare, and he does think about his jokes, and it's, like, just, it's so beautiful to see. And it's, like, I feel so lucky to be able to watch someone like that and understand what a joke is supposed to sound like 
in person. That guy's just a fucking genius. He's a genius. He, I saw him, I saw him bomb once and it was the coolest. It was, it was one of the sets I learned from the most in my life. He, did he do the, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where he hits the mic. Yeah. He, I couldn't stop laughing. I mean, he just, and it was really late. It was a big hunt and it was like at one o'clock in the morning on a Friday, I think. And he came in and the audience was really tired and drunk and he was just, they were just not feeling anything he was doing. But he, but the way that he was, it was so funny. Mm-hmm. Like he kept clicking on the mic. And then I remember people walked in, people walked in in the middle and he's like, he, and he was like, oh, hey, I'm doing really great. Everybody can't stop laughing. I thought that was the funniest trick. He kept doing like tricks like that. Did he do the parade joke? Yes. Where the thing where he's like, like he does this like thing where he's like picking up like a, a, a baton, like the baton uh. thing. And he's like, man, I just felt like I was like going down this parade route and I went right and then the parade went left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he was doing, he did so many great tricks that were so it was so funny and like and like the deeper because they were just it was one of those things like they were almost like not a savable audience they were just like drunk and tired and he he just like kept harping on him and kept trying and he was so mad at himself when he got off stage but i thought it was like the best it was the best bomb i've ever seen it was and i thought it was crazy do you understand what you just said though it was the best bomb I've ever seen. It was. Do you know how good of a fucking comedian you have to be to, <laughs> to have bomb. someone be like, oh my God, yeah, that, that bomb was, was amazing. Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It, was the, it was so good. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> um, he also and, as a, and as a comic, that's like more entertaining to watch right? than, a, yeah. than a good set. I was just But like, a bad what? bomb for me is even funnier to watch. I mean, oh, me I watching it. I, I, I love watching like a really great bomb. Like, let me, let me tell you something. Because I remember back when, this was maybe two, three years ago, Mason Pryor, this is Richard Pryor, one of his seven kids. He's trying comedy now. And he went up on the Apollo and they put it on Fox. He's six months or a year in or something, and he got Sandman, and it was just horrible. He got fucking booed, you know. And you know, going Did he rub in the stone or not? Huh? Did he rub the stone? Spoke. When you go out on stage with Apollo, you're supposed oh, to rub yeah, the stone. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't remember. I've seen people not rub the stone and bomb. And bomb. Like that's like it's like a thing. It's like it's like a anyway. Sorry, oh, yeah. not to cut oh, off no, your story. No, no, no. It's ahead. all right. But yeah, no, but Steve Harvey brought him up, and that was a problem too. Was like he was like you know. This man's dad is the reason I do comedy, oh, you know, yeah. and all that stuff. And he's just talking him up and all these women are like, he legit like his daddy, you know. Mm-hmm. But then he got up there and he was just not doing it. And I'll tell you something. If you fucking say you work hard at this comedy thing and you can't enjoy a comic like that bombing like shit, <laughs> you're a goddamn lie. <laughs> <laughs> I dare you to watch that clip and not fucking laugh. And and I felt a little bad, but I was like, fuck them. <laughs> See, to me, it's still, it's still, I'm not at that stage yet. I don't know if it's because I haven't been doing comedy long enough or what, but like when I see a bad bomb, it, it still like hurts. I'm just like, just get off. Like, <laughs> so, it just, just stop. So there was a, there was like a year ago, there was this guy at Town Tavern. One of y'all might've been there. This is also like one of the sets that like is just an infamy, legendary. I will never forget this. This new guy, he, he was new. He brought some friends. And so he was going at the end of the show. Right. And he had gotten a little drunk as new comics do mm-hmm. because they're scared. Mm-hmm. And right. And so he got a little drunk and he like got mad at me for putting him on later and he sort of got a little handsy he like oh really did a very threatening before he went on stage like hand on the shoulder sort of like you know thing and oh, everything shit. and a bunch of his friends were here and he was drunk and it wasn't like it wasn't i was okay with it at that moment i was like just go on stage so he he goes on stage uh well let me tell you what happens when he comes off stage. So he comes off stage and he gets even more handsy because I had to light him early. Right. And so he like, like puts both hands on and like, you know, I haven't taken martial arts, but I know one thing where you grab someone's hand and you twist it. And he was like, I, I, I know when I'm about to get punched. Okay. <laughs> like I, I run my mouth a lot yeah. and I know when someone's about to punch me. And he was about to fucking punch me. And so I had to grab his hand and like twist it in. And then he like hit a knee and I was like, don't ever fucking touch me again. 
But oh, I definitely did not see that. Okay, but what happened on stage was was unbelievably epic. So he goes on stage and like you know we've had the shuffle that's gone on for a year and there's 30 new comics on the stage and mm-hmm. they suck for the most part. Half of them are suck and are terrible and tell terrible jokes. Uh, and you got to grow and get better. But they suck, and uh, but they get laughs. And sometimes they get laughs because it's so bad. Yeah, right, it's right, awkward, right, right. Oh, yeah. He was on stage for a few minutes, and no laughs. Crickets. Like, it was offensive. It was offensive and bad. And so I had to <laughs> like him. Okay? And then when I like him, he starts doing crowd work. Oh my god! All right. <laughs> and it's like his first or second time oh on god. stage, and it's like you have oh. no idea to do crowd work, man. And so he goes up to this guy in the audience, and he's like, "So, like, hey, man, what do you do?" And then the guy's like, "I'm an accountant." And then the guy on stage goes, "So, like, how long have you been thinking about killing yourself?" And then oh. the, the accountant goes, <laughs> "Like three minutes." Ah. <laughs> solid, solid. We got him. And I literally fell out of my chair. <laughs> that is the funniest burn I've ever heard. <laughs> and an accountant? That's amazing. You should have thought about doing comedy. Dude, like, that was some shit, man. That That's... was, like, some shit. And, you know, the guy, like, you know, never saw him again. He came off stage, got hands with me, never saw him again. And, well, at least you know, he learned his lesson. Yeah, don't do comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is not for yeah, you. Yeah, at least he was like, this isn't, this isn't for me. Go get a day job, work Sometime. nine to five, yeah. come to a show. Sometimes. Like, you, know, you know, PD, you know the line of yours that I say all the time? What's that? It's a lot harder to quit comedy than it is to start comedy. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is, And man. I can't take credit. That's Andy Klein. Oh, Dude. is it? Yeah, it takes you're the more one who told balls me that. to stop than it does yeah, to start. Yeah, I found myself saying that a lot. Because, well, my husband and I, we half of what we talk about is comedy because he just happens to love it. Thank God. Yeah, and God. I was just telling him that the other thank day. Thank God for my sake. Yeah, yeah. some of the fucking shit I've said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Petey, what did you call me? Yeah. Uh, I said I thought oh, are we you going were, into uh, this? Should I tell this full story? On the spectrum, perhaps Asperger's. No, no, no. I don't have I don't have Asperger's. I'm okay. an only child. Okay? okay. And so the difference is, is that like I had no older brother or sister to beat the shit out of me, so I would just say whatever the fuck came to my head. At any moment, and like I'm talking to my parents, like me. and so it's like I, I'm like talking to them and trying to get their attention and trying to do that sort of stuff, and also no one's telling me to shut up. So like I have this problem of talking too much and saying dumb shit and just giving zero fucks about any social norms. But in a, but in adult life, has no one punched you or anything? Like 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 you've you've had to have seen consequences where you had to have learned a little bit. Yeah, From but there's a, there's a difference between having someone sit you down at the office and talk to you and then your fucking jaw is broken. <laughs> yes. Right. Those are different. Yes. That like when you're little and you're like understanding the world and you're like, oh, I shouldn't ever do that again. Yes. And then you never do that again. See, yes. those are not the things that I was necessarily punished for was the social stuff. The stuff I was punished for for like was like talking back. And like being a dick to my parents, like okay. embarrassing them. It was not violating social norms because my parents are weird people. What, what if you violate social norms and someone makes a joke about it and starts telling it on stage? Does that feel like getting punched in the face? Or how does that, do you like that? Like, because I, what everybody, because I did this. Well, because you, you said something really oh, crazy yeah, to yeah, me, yeah. which but, I've now turned into a joke that I'm right, telling all of Right, but your husband co well, because when I told him what you said, he literally, I, I'll never, I got home and I was like, you're never going to believe what Jack told me today. <laughs> and I told him what it was and he was open, he was eating, he, he was eating a pickle out of the fridge and he was opening the fridge and he stopped and almost started choking. And he was like, <laughs> and I like, and I a kept talking cake. and I, and I kept talking and he was like, stop. <laughs> he was like, he was like, just stop for a second. I need to take that in. <laughs> That's perfect. He's like, he's like, I just, I need to take that in. That's the craziest shit I've ever heard. And then I told it to some other people and they're like, you should make that a joke. Right. And I did. And I called you out on it. Right. And that's, that's fine. Like, I, because it's fine because it's like one of those things where like, don't shit on the crowd unless it's funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. If it's funny, that's okay. Like, yeah. it's a big risk for me to say something like that. But there is also like. There, like, there are moments where my zero fucks given about social norms are is helpful, 
And like that's yeah. the reason why I love the comedy shuffle and like shuffling and like when I when I do shuffle because interrupting is very important as a violation of social norms. <laughs> and we're gonna do that right now to bring you these announcements yeah. on Friday and Saturday, August sixth and seventh at the DC Draft House. We're going to have Josh Johnson from the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon as well as Comedy Central. You can see him at seven and nine p.m. Hit us up at the Countercurrents uh, Instagram, Currents DC, Twitter, uh, as well as uh, our Facebook page for a chance to win some free pairs of tickets to that, as well as to the Arlington Cinema Draft Houses shows um, Thursday the 5th at 7.30 p.m., Friday the 6th and 7th at 7.30, 10 and 7 and 9.30 respectively, and that's Phoebe Robinson live from Two Dope Queens, You Can't Touch My Hair in Broad City, that's at the Arlington Cinema Draft House, and the same rules apply for our social media pages to win free sets yep. of tickets. And the more you like, if you comment, that is really going to up your chances of getting a free pair of tickets, especially if it's a nice comment. Absolutely. If you're trolling us, maybe if it's funny, we'll, we'll give you a ticket. You're great at reading, Petey. Thank you. Doing reads, dude. Yep. So, um, He's good at reading. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you so much for yeah, thanks, uh, coming through jack twice yes yeah, and uh if anybody wants to hear the other one tough shit but um this was this was better i think still I think it too. Um, yeah, a little I lighter so. i think so yeah definitely a little lighter oh yeah check out the ted talk do we talk about the ted talk yeah yeah can people check that out yeah check out the ted talk when it comes out uh check out the shows come by the shuffle on monday if you're in dc check out the website cabalaps.com uh we're doing cool stuff We'll be doing broader stuff. The people in D.C., the people outside of D.C. will be able to hear, but that's not now. But it'll happen. Nice. Fantastic. So. Nice. All right. Peace. Bye, everybody. Roll tight.